Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. A nice Chianti. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. This is the first episode in October, so I wanted to do something that was kind of, sort of on brand for the season. I wouldn't call this a full-fledged, like, Oktoberfest sort of sausage party. Uh, we're not doing bratwurst or Braunschweig or anything like that this week, but it is a sausage episode, and I'm covering two recipes that I think you can get a lot of mileage out of breakfast sausage, kind of like your your basic sage breakfast sausage, and a hot Italian sausage. One of them's linked, uh, the hot Italian, the other is loose, the breakfast. And both of these have a little uh, variation that makes them unique. It's not like your bog standard, you know, Bob Evans breakfast sausage or Joe Labriola hot Italian. Has a little je ne sais quoi in both of them, but um, we're, we're using a modified recipe from Michael Rollman and Brian Paulson's charcuterie, The Craft of Salting, Smoking, and Curing, which uh, is one of the best, what would you call it, like beginner tomes for cured meats and sausages and terrines, pâtés, all that kind of stuff. Um, it'll lay down a really good foundation of technique and like the science involved in, in curing and smoking and whatever. Um, some of the recipes in earlier editions are a little little wonky, a little salt heavy. So I mean, I've I've augmented those with my own ingredients, and but I've used a couple of these as like a base. So we're going to start off with breakfast sausage. We'll go through the whole process with that, and then we'll move on to hot Italian sausage. Now, as always, you want to check out the show notes to find the imager album, step-by-step, -step, you know, photographic log of the ingredients, the process, the use of the equipment. We are using a, a grinding attachment this time. Also, we'll have links to special equipment that you would need. I'll put a link in there to the specific KitchenAid stand mixer grinder attachment that I use currently, um, as well as uh, I'll go through the ingredients. I don't, I don't think you know what i might have i might have a link to a special ingredient that you might want to use for the hot italian sausage but mainly it'll just be equipment links or whatever like that for both of these we'll have the straightforward plain text uh, no fluff recipe for these sausages and what we'll have in addition to the specific measurements like you know three tablespoons kosher salt or whatever that i used for the specific batches we'll have the percentage uh, that you'll need for a specific yield because what i want this episode to do is to uh compel certain people to to make sausage as just a as just a matter of course at home, you know, I'm like from southwestern Pennsylvania. So there's a big, big population of, of Polish, of Italian and of German, uh, you know, third, fourth generation, keeping keeping the sausage making traditions alive. But what what it seems to be, you know, what people think of whenever they think about like home sausage production is, you know, the whole 
the whole crew from the Italian club down in somebody's basement making the, you know, the, the super sot or whatever and doing like a hundred pound batch at a time. That is not necessary. You think that like, oh, it's a lot of work. So you got to, you got to utilize a, an economy of scale and get a whole lot of output in order to make it worth the time to, you know, to formulate and grind and mix and do all this kind of stuff. It's really not that big of an ask. And, uh, you know, without, without special equipment, like without a standalone grinder, without a, you know, a medium to large capacity stuffer or something like that, it is, it's really not a big time investment to grind, you know, one or two pounds of pork shoulder and mix it up to make some loose sausage. Now, whether you want to stuff it or not, that's another, that's another issue altogether, but just making the farce, you know, is, um, it's not a big investment of time, ingredients or equipment, if you have certain things already in your possession or whatever. So, um, you know, just thinking is a Saturday afternoon, if it's rainy and you have some pork shoulder or something like that, you bang out a one to three pound batch of breakfast sausage. And then Sunday morning, you have a nice leisurely brunch and with some homemade sausage, it really elevates the meal to have something homemade and, uh, you know, that where you've tweaked the ingredients to get a flavor profile that you prefer. And with fresh sausages that are cooked like that, there isn't as much of, uh, of an emphasis on like curing science. You know, like uh, whenever you make hot dogs or salami or something like that, there's certain steps you need to take. There's certain math that you have to do, certain chemical precautions that you have to take in order to prevent a lot of people dying a horrific death from botulism. <laughs> and with fresh sausages, um, the impetus on that level of, um, of planning and precaution is not necessarily there. I mean, obviously you want to be clean and safe and everything, but you're basically just making a food product without any special chemistry or biology involved. Okay, so we'll get into this now and start with breakfast sausage. And I did this one loose um, because, all right, so with breakfast sausage, <laughs> traditionally it's stuffed into lamb casings, which are very narrow, dynam uh, narrow diameter, like uh, 12 to 16 millimeter or something like that. Lamb casing is also very fine. It's difficult to work with. And even if you do a small batch, whenever you're stuffing into something that's only, you know, a half inch to three quarters of an inch uh, in diameter, it takes forever. It's like, oh my God, I'm making like 300 feet of, of breakfast sausage here. So even whenever I owned a butcher shop, I would just use your standard, you know, 33 millimeter hog casings and we would just make fat boy breakfast sausages or we'd pack it up loose because everybody likes a nice uh, sausage patty on a breakfast sandwich, which is actually the, 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 the way that I predominantly use this batch that we made here this week. So when selecting your pork that you want to use for these sausages, uh, most sausages just by default are kind of like a, it's a pork centric sort of uh, food product. I mean, obviously when you get into emulsified sausages, you might factor in some beef or chicken or whatever. And then there are some specific, specifically beef or duck sausages, but in general, like the default uh, assumption when you're talking about sausages that it is pork. Um, ideally you want to use pork shoulder. It just is sort of a, an accident of biology that 
the pork shoulder as a, as a cut will generally be constituted as roughly 30% fat and 70% lean, which is just about the perfect ratio that you want for sausage. You need that fat in there so that it doesn't dry out. So it's juicy and, uh, and, and all those savory flavors have a transport mechanism through the fat and the, and the, and the liquid that renders out of the sausage. So that's really important. If you know, if you can't get pork shoulder, or if the pork shoulder is particularly lean or heavily trimmed or something like that, um, you do want to fortify it with some back fat, or fat back, as it's called, which is a particular type of fat. It's an insulative fat that's subcutaneous along the back of the pig, and it insulates the body. It's very dense, dense and buttery, snow white, firm to the touch. It is fantastic. But generally speaking, you can just use pork shoulder and you'll be a-okay. Now with breakfast sausage, we are going to be just adding ice water to the farce, which does build it up and, and imbues it with a certain amount of moisture. So it can forgive a lot of um, lack of fat in that regard. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very forgiving. Plus it's heavily spiced. It has a, a really good flavor. So you don't really have to be too picky on the fat percentage, but we made a five pound batch. Uh, we had five pounds of pork shoulder that was just cut up into pieces of roughly an inch cube, something that'll fit into the throat of the grinder that we're using. Um, the bigger your grinder, the bigger the pieces of pork that you can put in there. Again, when I had the butcher shop, we had this giant grinder that you could just crawl up inside. Yeah, you could dump a whole pig in there. <laughs> it was cool. Uh, now I got to spend a little bit more time trimming this up to make it into to smaller pieces to work with. Uh, we use uh, kosher salt, dried ginger. I don't, how, how do you say it? Because, you know, different, different spices would be like rub sage or powdered whatever. It's dried ginger, dried ginger powder. This is that. This is sort of the uh, the point of diversion. Like the thing that makes it unique is that ginger is not necessarily a staple ingredient in breakfast sausage. And if you don't like ginger, you can omit it, and you don't have to replace it with anything. You know, you can just take the the ginger out and go forward with everything else, and you'll be a okay. But I used uh, the the ground ginger or the dry ginger dry sage. Um, and in this case, you know, you have your, your dry sage, you have your rubbed sage. It really doesn't matter that much. Uh, dry sage might have a few more little sticks and stems in it, but the flavor is going to be very similar. So we had uh, the dry sage, granulated garlic, uh, personal preference. You know, you have your garlic powder, you have fresh garlic, you have dry garlic, you have pickled garlic, you have roasted garlic. I like granulated garlic because it doesn't stick together and, and pack the way garlic powder tends to do. Garlic powder is a much finer grind and it's like talcum and it will pack together and the slightest amount of moisture will just turn that into a solid rock inside of your spice jar. Granulated garlic is fantastic. It's very pourable. It's, it, you don't, you, you, you never go to pour granulated garlic into a measuring spoon or scoop it out of the uh, out of the container and get that like surprise puff or avalanche of garlic that's breaking loose from the from the bigger mass granulated garlic fantastic if you aren't married to the idea of having garlic powder check it out it's much easier to work with all right uh 
some black pepper and ice water and that's basically that's basically your 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 spice kit as far as the measurements and the percentages go make sure you check out the show notes for that okay for this one i basically ground everything through on like what i would consider to be medium fine right I have all these different grinder plates that go from very fine all the way up to what's called a kidney plate, which is basically just two oblong holes. It, it, it barely changes the consistency of the meat as it goes through. And I use like the one that's the second step up from fine. I did one pass grinding on this. A lot of recipes will have you grinding things two or three times or more, you know, grind it on course and then mix in your spice kit and then grind it on fine and then grind it on fine again, just because, you know, grinding using a stand mixer grinder attachment is not, it's not super fast. So you don't want to be standing there too, too long grinding just to get like a slight change in texture. I mean, it's, it, it's sausage. It doesn't have to be too fine tuned. And I find that, you know, passing it through, keeping everything cold on that medium fine grind is sufficient for what I'm trying to do here. And I ground it through just plain pork. Sometimes, you know, if you have a bigger grinder, like a standalone where you can, really run things through it quickly um there is an argument to be made for seasoning the meat and then grinding it and having the grinding process kind of evenly distribute the the spices through the meat i didn't do that and i'm just assuming that you have the bare minimum of, of equipment here so um, we'll mix it afterwards so grind all that pork through and then all of these pre-measured ingredients just go right into right into the farce a big bowl with the the ground pork you add everything in there now you can mix this by hand like literally with your hands um you can mix it with a wooden spoon you can do whatever you want to do there my preferences since i have the stand mixer is i use the paddle attachment and i start it off on low and i knock it up to two then three and then eventually i get it up to setting four which is fairly fast, fairly violent. It's really slapping that meat around in the bowl. Um, and I let that run for, you know, 30 seconds or so once I get up to that speed. Uh, the purpose of doing this is twofold. Number one, obviously we want to get all the spices and everything incorporated through the meat. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll very quickly mix it together with my hands so that uh, it's, it's sort of roughly distributed through the meat. And then run it through with the paddle mixer that should get everything evenly distributed the secondary reason for doing that is as you pummel this meat in this like rhythmic fashion smacking it around remember you're adding um, in this case with five pounds we're adding like one and a half to two cups of ice water that water will absorb into the lean content of the sausage and by pummeling it around there like that it will allow that the lean flesh to absorb a lot more of that water very quickly it also has an effect of making the farce very sticky similar to kneading bread dough when you're kneading bread dough the uh the gluten protein molecule chains they link together like rubber bands so the longer you knead the more elastic and stretchy the dough becomes you get a very similar sort of effect from um uh, what would, what's the word? It, uh, not mass. Uh, masticating is chewing. Macerating is 
macerating is kind of close to the right word, but it's not. The, that's more like bruising fruit or like a, a pulverizing fruit. So I don't know. Anyway, beating up the pork <laughs> has textural benefits that you want to sort of unlock for a loose sausage specifically, because what happens is uh, whenever you do this, it'll prevent your sausage patties from crumbling apart in the pan, and it'll keep like a real nice um, succulent. Oh God, I don't want to say voluptuous, but it's like a really good <laughs> mouthfeel. Whenever you bite into it, it has like a nice al dente uh, mouthfeel to it. Um, so it, it, this is an important step to do. Okay. So then once you've done that, everything's mixed together. What I did was I have a vacuum sealer, you know, like a, it's not a food saver, but it's that sort of thing. It's just basically portioned this out into one pound packages and sealed them up. And then I used one pound myself for making breakfast sandwiches and taking all the pictures to show off the final product here. Okay. But fresh sausage, super easy. The main components there are uh, garlic and sage. That That's like, that's the, you know, like pepperoni, whenever you make, whenever you taste pepperoni, the, the flavor that tells you that's pepperoni is fennel. And for breakfast sausage, it's sage. As long as you have sage in there, you won't, uh, you won't be confused about what kind of sausage you have. And the, 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 the ground ginger basically just gives it like a different sort of flavor to take that ginger out. You can replace it with a, you know, roughly a quarter of that volume of nutmeg. You could add brown sugar. You could add maple syrup. You could add all kinds of different things um, and really jazz it up. Okay. So let's move on to our hot Italian sausage. Very similar process here, except in this case, I am going to grind it twice. And the reason for that is because we're going to stuff this and we want, we want the farce to have like a real consistent texture once it goes into the casing. We don't want to make like an emulsified sausage. We're not making a hot dog or anything like that, but we do want to grind it eventually down to a, a fine or grind. So what I did was I started first grind, went through on medium, then I mixed in the the spice kit and everything and with a wooden spoon I mixed that as as thoroughly as possible and then ran it through the grinder a second time on the fine plate to really do one thorough mix of all the ingredients and also to break it down into a smaller a smaller particulate, okay? So let's run through the ingredients that we used on our hot Italian sausage. And this recipe diverges a little bit more from the Ruhlman recipe. Um, I just basically completely omitted uh, the sweet uh, component, you know, granulated sugar. We don't need that in there at all. Also, instead of using red wine vinegar, I use actual red wine. You know, that's, I'm not, I'm not following the recipe from Heritage Craft Butchers, but, you know, we used red wine in our hot sauce. Sausage. We used white wine in our sweet sausage, so uh, I, f I feel like that really brings out the flavors m in a more natural way than the red wine vinegar does. Um, you know, the, the, the vinegar acidic bite to it can be a little distracting, and a lot of these spices and herbs really bloom in the presence of red wine. I mean, whenever you're talking about Italian herbs and spices, like like basil, oregano, and black pepper, uh, there's a reason why those are present in red sauces and they jive really well with red wine. Like the red wine makes all these flavors bloom on the palate 
as well as, you know, cleansing the palate to be able to taste other components of the dish or whatever. So just having the red wine in the sausage is, in my opinion, is necessary. All right. So we went with five pounds of pork shoulder diced up into those one one inch cubes. Uh, we use kosher salt, fennel seeds, ground coriander. All right. The Pimentone Dolce de la Vera, the sweet smoked Spanish paprika. I used a whole bunch of that. Um, the Rollman recipe calls for Hungarian paprika, which usually will be like a hot paprika. Uh, you can use a hot Spanish paprika, uh, Pimentone Dolce. Uh, uh, oh, geez. I completely... No, not Dolce. Like I said Dolce. Dolce being sweet. Um, uh, Pimenton Picante. I, I'm sorry. It's it's late. I'm, I'm blanking on words. I can barely speak English. I don't need to jump into Spanish here. Um, all right. So yeah, you can use you can use a, a, a spicy Spanish paprika if you want to. And I'll put a link to this. I didn't use it myself because I didn't have it on hand. But if you want to, you check out Calabrian pepper. Um, it's it's a hot. It's a spicy Spanish chili pepper, you know, powder, but the heat is, is remarkable in that it really builds slowly. It's like a very nice warming heat, you know, as opposed to cayenne pepper, which is like a sharper, like the capsaicin response in your mouth is, is, is like a, a sharper peak. Calabrian pepper builds over time. So what you can do is, cause I'm, I, I do use cayenne pepper in addition to the paprika, if you if you have access to Calabrian pepper, uh, replace the cayenne and the paprika quantities with Calabrian 100%, and it'll be fantastic. Otherwise, I use that, uh, you know, the, the, the sweet pe smoked paprika, uh, cayenne pepper, fresh oregano, and fresh basil. You know, you can definitely use dry oregano and dry break the dry oregano and dry basil i just happen to have you know the the last the last gasp of the herb garden is still going strong out there you know so i use that if you do use fresh herbs if you make a surplus of sausage what you want to do is you probably want to freeze the part the the sausage that you don't use immediately the reason for that is that fresh herbs are going to have like naturally occurring yeast on the surface of them and and they will uh, ferment in the in the in the um, presence of like the red wine and all of these other ingredients. And it's not it's not necessarily dangerous, but it will shorten the shelf life and it creates some off flavors. Um, so if you make it this way, whatever you have uh, left over, you want to freeze that to prevent. Uh, your your vacuum bags from inflating or anything like that. Okay, so we use fresh oregano, fresh basil, uh, hot red pepper flakes, ground black pepper, and red wine. I used like a really dark fruity red wine. It's that uh, apothic dark. It's like a red wine blend, but it's super dark. Like it's purple jammy. It's uh, it's dry. It's not a sweet wine, but it has a real nice like black cherry stone fruit sort of uh, flavor to it. The, the aroma that comes off of it is just whoo, out of this world, whatever you get mixing these things together. All those, all those spices and all those herbs in the presence of the red wine, not only is it, uh, is it like a multiplier of flavor on the palate, but aroma wise, it will, um, it will just make your entire kitchen smell fantastic. So let's see, where are we? I'm, I'm going off on tangents after tangents. This is like a geometry class here. All right. So I ground the pork on a medium 
grinder plate. And then I added in all of these uh, herbs, spices, red wine, and everything. I mixed it uh, fairly quickly and judiciously. The reason I keep harping on the, oh, mix it quickly or mix it this way or do that is if you spend a ton of time mixing it by hand, you're going to warm up the farce. And then whenever you try to grind it again, or when you try to stuff it, you're going to get some smearing on the fat. You want to keep everything cold, you know? So you want to mix quickly and efficiently, and then get it back through that second pass of the grinder as, as quickly as possible so that you're not smearing it. You want to keep some structural integrity to the fat, to the meat, have them it's like they're comminuated, but you want them to still be separate entities within the sausage a little bit. So you got to be careful, work quickly, work efficiently. All right. So once these are all ground and everything, I put them in a big bowl, put it in the fridge just to keep it cold. You get your hog casings. Now, if you're just buying hog casings from like Gander Mountain or something like that, the way that I did because a couple weeks ago I just needed hog casings. You're getting it from like the camping section or you know where you're processing wild game or whatever. Chances are they're going to be like 26 millimeter to 35 millimeter somewhere in that range. So it's going to be like um, uh, wider than a hot dog but not as wide as like a big fat German sausage you know. And that's fine. You know, it, it, the diameter doesn't, I mean, you pack it tight, it'll swell up. You, you have some elasticity to the, to the casing. You can, you can get a good, um, a good shape out of it. Not a big deal, but you got to get that into some water in a bowl of cold water to rehydrate, strip the, the salt pack brine that's, that they're packaged in, and also to get some water kind of into uh, the interior of these casings. I did use, this is the second, you know, I did this with the hot dogs and probably, probably made the same comment, but I did use the stand mixer attachment uh, sausage stuffer, which is basically just putting a, a, a spacer in in the, the, the grinder attachment and putting a, a sausage horn or stuffing tube uh, on there. This is this is the worst. <laughs> this is the worst attachment that KitchenAid has. Whether you whether you use a first party product like an actual KitchenAid branded um, sausage stuffer. Or if you use a third party, which I use because it's all metal, um, I don't even remember what the Kiko art or something like that. Um, regardless, it's not good. It's not. It's slow. It's frustrating. It's annoying. So you know, if you if you if you have limited funds and you want to invest in some sausage making equipment, you know, use use the grinder attachment. It's fine. It's not you know, it's not going to be winning any land speed records, but it is perfectly serviceable. Definitely look into getting a standalone sausage stuffer from like LEM or F Dick or something like that. Uh, you can get a small one, a five pound capacity, uh, up to like fifteen pound capacity. Those are kind of like the range for home sausage production and you're going to be looking at probably uh, 125 to 150 dollars as a point of entry for that um, but if you make a lot of sausage it will it will pay dividends in time saved in frustration and everything else i am not making that much sausage so i don't have one i you know i'll, I'll probably pick one up later this year or something like that. But right now, just using the most inefficient, most frustrating KitchenAid attachment ever made. Um, and it is not a good time. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. All right. So you get your 
sausage uh, casings threaded onto your horn, and then you very slowly pass the meat through the auger and into uh, the casing. And you want to sort of hold the casing kind of tight to the end of the the, the stuffer horn so that it's uh, injecting the farce into the casing. You know, if you just let it come out at a natural pace, you're going to have these skinny little pinky, pinky finger diameter sausage worms that then you'll have to... Um, twist exceptionally hard <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll waste a lot of the casing you know twisting them off to get all the farce to pack together afterwards whereas you can do it initially just by by making slow steady progress technically i mean really it, this would be a lot easier if if i had three arms you know you have one hand adding the farce to the to, to the stuffer throat you have another hand uh working the the plunger pushing it down you know into the auger and then you have another hand holding on to the uh the extruded sausage as it comes out once it's all out you can you can either twist off the ends i like to tie the ends like you leave yourself you know two or three inches of casing uh loose at the end it allows you to tie it into a knot and then you sort of block off where your your sausage lengths are going to be and what i did was i just kind of held it up against the buns that we had and and made the, the the links bun length okay now there are different twisting techniques that you know it's it, it's hard to show without doing a video and then doing mixed media in the in the imager album and stuff like that sometimes doesn't work all that great so just you know you you'll figure it out you can go on youtube look up uh scott ray um rea he's a british you know rock and roll butcher and he has a nice uh, tutorial on how to twist off sausage links. It's very, very entertaining and fun. And whenever you do it that way, it looks like you really know what you're doing. <laughs> so I, I would do that if I, if I was doing like really long links, but I basically just press through enough to make, uh, the sausages necessary for dinner. And then we get into, uh, preparing, uh, your hot Italian sausage. I have Ella. I mean, if this is a, a product that you've had before, you know how it goes. You have your hot Italian sausage. Uh, you have your, your peppers and onions and a tomato sauce. You just kind of let that all simmer together for a while. Um, serve it up on like a Kaiser roll or something like that with some melted provolone cheese. It's fantastic for the preparation here. Whoops. Smacked my microphone, um, for the preparation here, uh, put a little bit of olive oil in a big saute pan and the cooking vessel is, you know, whatever you could use a crock pot. You could use a, uh, uh, what's the thing called a Dutch oven or a roasting pan or something like that. I just used a saute pan, olive oil in there, brown the uh the the sausage links on both sides roll them around in there a little bit to get a little bit of color on the casing and then into this this it's not a pot it's a pan into the pan goes your 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 sliced onions uh your bell pepper and your tomato sauce now here's where it gets unique because you know i live on a farm a homestead out in the middle of nowhere we uh we tend to dehydrate our tomatoes to make a, a tomato powder because you can preserve a ton of tomatoes in a very small space. 
you know, like I have a quart jar of this tomato powder in the larder that has, I don't even know how many gallons of tomatoes, how, how many bushels of tomatoes have been reduced down to make this uh, jar of uh, orange powder. So I use that tomato powder in a bowl with uh, granulated garlic and oregano. And then using that same red wine, uh, equal parts red wine and water to rehydrate everything. And it makes uh, kind of a thin tomato sauce, right? And then add that in to your cooking uh, sausage and vegetables and cover that and let it simmer for, you know, 15, 20 minutes or whatever. At that point, I took the lid off and I let it reduce down and thicken up a little bit. I did, uh, quote unquote, mount the sauce at the end with about a tablespoon of butter. Kind of gives it like a nice velvety uh, texture and mouthfeel, a nice sheen and glisten across the, uh, the surface of it. And then, uh, you know, when it Whenever it starts to thicken up to the point where it'll coat a spoon, then you can cut the heat and allow everything to sort of mellow out there. One last, not hint, tips and tricks. What are we doing here? <laughs> one last suggestion. If you can get like one of these little um, uh, creme brulee torches, holy cow. Let me tell you what. Game changer when it comes to melting cheese on sandwiches. Okay, provolone is a very is a beautiful melty gooey cheese, but it takes a little bit of a a little bit of coaxing to get there. And if you don't want to make your sandwich and throw them in the oven under the broiler or something like that, you use one of these little torches and just kind of just kind of paint the surface of that cheese until it droops down and gets all shiny and melty and, and delicious. If you check out the, uh, uh, some of the pictures in the photo album of the finished product of the hot Italian sausage, you'll see that I, I hit that with that torch and the, the result was a okay. It was fantastic. Uh, can't beat it. And that's basically Italian sausage. What I did was I'm, I'm going to finish linking or stuffing and linking uh, a couple of pounds of that forest tomorrow. And I'll probably package up uh, one or two pounds loose because it's great for things like stuffed peppers or... Uh, uh, spaghetti sauce, or even if you brown some of it, uh, make tiny little meatballs, brown it up in a pan and put that on a pizza. Fantastic. It's versatile. It's huge flavor. I mean, there's, this is just like all of the great flavors put together into a sausage. There is a reason why, why it's this like, you know, traditional thing amongst communities in our area, you know, the, the Italian folk in, uh, Southwestern Pennsylvania, they know good sausage. And this is, uh, one of the best. All right. So uh, I want to reiterate that making a small batch of sausage just casually to elevate a component of a meal, you know, on a weekend or something like that, it's not a huge investment of time and labor and ingredients and equipment. If you already have some of the equipment, you know what I mean? So, you know, take a little bit of time on a Friday night, Saturday afternoon, make yourself some breakfast sausage, make a, make a, a pound or two of hot Italian sausage loose for pizza or stuffed peppers or something like that on Sunday. It's fantastic. A little investment on one day pays dividends the following morning, the following afternoon, following evening, whatever. Plus, man, your house just smells great. Uh, you know, with uh, breakfast sandwiches being made nine o'clock in the morning or, uh, stuffed peppers in the oven, uh, six o'clock in the evening, regardless, you know, you can bookend, you can bookend your Sunday with wonderful sausage smells. How about that? All right. Okay. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.